G'day and welcome to Occupied, your fortnightly podcast for all things occupation and occupational therapy. Just a quick reminder that if you would like to be involved in our exclusive Occupied community, jump onto brockcook.com. You'll see there's a little email sign up thing. If you sign up for that email list, uh, you'll automatically be sent an invite to our group. Um, feel free to to join, come and converse, and we're trying to build a bit of a community around the podcast and the topics and the people from the podcast. So please do get involved in that if it's something that you're interested in. This episode, I had a really interesting and fun chat with Jennifer from OT Reference. So I first came across Jennifer because of her powerlifting on Instagram. Um, quite a a while ago, probably a few years ago, and then found OT Reference, and then, uh, shamedly, a long time later, actually made the link that they were the same person. But I've been wanting to look at a role analysis, an occupational role analysis of powerlifting, and I was going to do it myself, but talking to Jennifer, I'm like, let's do this together, because we both have, uh, in the same sport, we both are occupational therapists, and we will have slightly different perspectives that we can share and compare Uh, about some of the links that we've made between occupational therapy and and the sport of powerlifting. So hopefully you guys enjoy. Let me know in an email or in in an iTunes review. Enjoy. My name is Jennifer. (laughs) Um, I'm an occupational therapist of a year and a half. Um, but I've actually been powerlifting. I haven't competed for a, a few years, um, but I still train. <laughs> and it, I think I'm hoping to compete again by the end of this year. Um, just grad school and everything kind of really, you know, took a lot of my attention for a while. It does. Um, but I, oh, yeah. <laughs> just a little. Just a little, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, I competed six times in a matter of like two years. Um, I was sponsored by the strength athlete. Uh, the kind of like the first year that I was competing and Bryce Lewis and some of the other coaches there were my coaches and they really taught me pretty much everything I know. Um, and it was like, I guess 2014 is really when I got into strength training, but it went pretty quickly from just like general strength training into powerlifting. Cause I had some friends that got into it and then, you know, one thing led to another and I just fell in love. And then I had my coaches and it's been a love affair ever since uh, I've been consistently training then for going on like, five years I'd say and I just love it so much <laughs> what, what initially got you into like just strength training in general what what drew you to that uh I knew I wanted something that would uh, help me be healthy because really before that I was pretty much sedentary my whole life um I like dabbled in swimming in high school but beyond that I was kind of just like sat around a lot and I was like I need to do something that's a little more active um and I was drawn to it I think from my friends but then also I just love the appeal of like the empowerment aspect especially um as a woman because you know we go through things (laughs) and I just wanted something that would really give me that like encouragement and make me feel strong like body and mind and um that's exactly what it did and I'm sure you know people refer to it like the iron bug like you just kind of become addicted and like fall in love with the endorphins and getting stronger and accomplishing goals you set for yourself and I think that's kind of what's kept me hooked <laughs> for now. The um but, the empowerment yeah. thing is something obviously not a woman, but uh, I I coach and I do coach a lot of females, and that's something that I hear quite regularly from women in particular is the this feeling of empowerment, almost like it's something that I guess society or their friends or stuff don't expect them to do or be able to do, and 
it's mm-hmm. almost yeah I, I hear that empowerment sort of talk quite quite often with regards to, to strength training in general and and powerlifting especially absolutely I think in the recent years I don't know at least from like my, the sphere of like the fitness and lifting community that I've been plugged into I feel like it's become more like widely um, accepted and like just more the sport overall has become more accessible for women I would argue um because I know back when even when I did it was still like the you know the weight room at the college that I went to was still like 95% guys like the powerlifting gym I started at was 95% guys um and then nowadays I feel like I go back to things and it's so much closer to like 50 50 and it Mm. it makes me so happy (laughs) yeah I think like our club uh was we've closed it now but when we were up and running it was i think just over half were were women nice a lot of the comps that we have here um they'll usually put out the stats like before the comp and quite often there's more women than than men lifting now so it's and i've I've seen (laughs) that sort of evolve over the last sort of four or five years just more Mm -hmm. and more like really rapidly yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially social media, like, kind of blows everything up. I feel like really quickly. Do you think that's good? good or, <laughs> do you think it's good or bad? I think. Well, I guess it can be bad, right? Because you see people getting into things that are just kind of like fatty, or um, they like fad, like fad e, <laughs> and uh, they, I don't know, might see bad like bad examples because it's really hard to know, right? Like the difference between a, a good or a bad coach if you're really unfamiliar yeah, yeah um and it's just i don't know i hate i hate because i don't like talking down about other people but there there definitely are like right to get into strength training because at the end of the day it can be very intense especially if you're going to prep for powerlifting instead of just straight up just like lift in the gym yep. um and injury risk is huge especially for especially for females we literally have our menstrual cycle where at one point in the month we're more likely to have some type of ligamentous damage um, just because our hormones are doing things that make things more lax. So I just, I think overall, I think it's good though. I, at least, but I'm kind of like a glass half full type of a type of a thing, (laughs) but there, there definitely are. um, I'm sure, you know, some bad things that have come from it becoming so popular so quick. I think that's probably Um, the the main issue I see is just the speed and probably, uh, uh, even like coaching skills and that sort of stuff haven't, I don't feel like haven't been able to keep up with the speed of people coming into the sport. So, so true. You know, if it, it it'll even out because I think I do think it's probably mm-hmm. starting to slow down now. Um, like the, the yeah. growth of the sport and it'll it'll even out now and we'll start sort of getting more quality over quantity. But um, yeah. yeah, it's been an interesting few years watching it just, especially in the States, like your nationals has something like 1200 people. That's ridiculous. I know. And it went, and if you compare that to, I forget, I should know the actual stats, but like from a few years before that, it was like so small, like 2012 to 20, like 17 is probably like tenfold increase. And in like people, mm. I feel like, I don't know. I remember reading an article about it and being like, oh my gosh, that's actually nuts. If you think about it. Uh, I'm pretty but. sure that. There was more people lifting at USAPL Nats than there was at Worlds. That's crazy. But I believe that, though. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, like, that's really cool. Ridiculous. So, yeah, especially in the States, it's it's exploded. In Australia, it, it definitely has a lot of growth as well. But I think especially in the last two years, we've had a lot of politics, which is probably 
uh, put a, hmm. a dampener on that growth, a lot of Fed politics and that kind of stuff. But Oh, geez. <laughs> that's always the way. So, so you got into it initially just as a, a fitness type thing. How did you go from, or why, how and why even, how did you go from training, just strength training into powerlifting? Like how did you find it? How did you, what was the, the intention for that changeover? So my my roommate and like college best friend at the time, she got into it and um, kind of at a different gym she went to in town, found a coach and did her first meet and I went and supported her and I was like, this is awesome. I was like, I'm going to try it. So I just started doing like some very simple, like didn't even have a program, just kind of like winging it around in the gym. Um, and then was like, okay, I really like these lifts, like really just focusing more on doing a little more like squatting, benching and deadlifting. And then from there, I had a friend that was willing to like give me a program for free. And I was like, okay, like this is a good low risk. Like, like I'm not, you know, like putting any resources like monetarily into this, but I can try it out. And I just fell in love. Um, and I, I don't know. Uh, I just love the lifts. I just love them because it's, you really hit everything. And I compound like the feeling of com- a compound lift, like moving so many joints in your body at once just feels so good. And then of course, you know, you see like those newbie gains and like, I saw my deadlift, like <laughs> getting better all the time. And I was just like, this is amazing. And you just want to keep going and going and pushing yourself. Um, and probably the mental aspect too. Cause I, I think before that in my life, I hadn't really pushed myself um, to that place of like, like mentally, you know, out of my comfort zone, at least not in regards to physical exertion, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I was just like, whoa, there's this whole like part of my brain and my human experience that I haven't explored. Like, let's dig into that, you know. Um, and I think for, for those who aren't aware, so with strength training, um, uh, Jennifer mentioned before, newbie gains, we Generally, when people first start training, they make really rapid progress and then it kind of slows down mm-hmm. a bit as you get a bit more advanced. Mm-hmm. And I think then it's it, it, it's good in a way because I think that's one reason why a lot of people get hooked on it is because they make a whole lot yeah. of progress like really quickly. But it also is important in that time to try and develop, I guess, the discipline and the, the awareness that, you know, it's not going to be that easy for, for mm-hmm. a long time if they, if they want to stick with it a long time. And that goes for any strength training really for – yeah absolutely anything crossfit olympic lifting doesn't matter any sort of strength sports absolutely and i feel like a huge component too is it it's actually very technical even mm. though the lifts are stationary in the sense that uh, for, like those are unfamiliar powerlifting i feel like we kind of like within like the lifting realm there's like pretty much crossfit uh olympic lifting and powerlifting we all kind of have opinions of each other we all accept each other i think um mostly. we all like have opinions of each other <laughs> yeah mostly yeah. Uh, <laughs> but people the powerlifting is stationary right like your feet are in the same place the whole time versus olympic lifting they're actually like kind of jumping a little bit when they do things if you think about it and um you Cross, would think it's, it's like at first glance it's not place. really that technical I know, yeah. <laughs> they're like the, they're literally just jumping the whole time. <laughs> yeah. They never um, stop still. But it's very technical. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I it's each sport has their own little nuances that you need to train. Mm. So like just because mm. you're training Olympic lifting doesn't like that's not gonna help like transferring straight into a powerlifting meet, like from a technical mm. point of view. Uh and vice versa and the same with CrossFit. Although CrossFit does have some uh, like Olympic lifting movements, they they do yeah. them very differently. Whereas Olympic lifting, it's for like max weight. CrossFit, it's usually like 
a set weight for time kind of thing. So it's more of an endurance. Yeah. Right. I mean, they do do some max stuff, but not. It's not the focus of the sport usually. Yeah. And then there's strongman, but that's like another weird realm. That's like another. Yeah. yeah. They're just like beasts and like amazing. It's like strong person crossfit. Even know. They yeah, just, it's like make up make unreal. up an exercise, make up a a combination of different exercises, and there's your competition. Like I don't know how you do that. Exactly. I couldn't do that. <laughs> no, I wish, but have you ever tried it? No. Well, I mean, like, okay, dabbled a little bit, but my issue is that my my overall frame is small, and I feel like a lot of like the logs and the stones and a lot of the equipment that's used in strongman is meant for people that have at least a little wider like center of gravity than me so it's just very difficult even though i'm i'm pretty strong it just was it's like not uh it doesn't really i'm not i feel encouraged to continue engaging in it because i'm like all right these devices like don't really suit me they're meant for someone much taller and much like uh wider broader than myself so i'm like i'll stick to a barbell that's a little bit easier to <laughs> deal with <laughs> can get yeah so to Again, probably for people who don't know, powerlifting is made up. This, the sport itself is made up of three main lifts. So that's the squat, bench, and the deadlift. Uh, and in the competition, mm-hmm. you have three attempts at each of those. And the heaviest uh, of each of those that you complete gets added up. Uh, it's called a total, original name, I know. And <laughs> essentially, the, he- the person with the biggest total in each weight class wins kind of thing. So it really is about mm-hmm. max... Um, it's not it's not actually about power ironically it's i know (laughs) it's it should be called force lifting i guess it's it's max force. weightlifting is more about power than than powerlifting ironically so i'm not sure where the name came from but it's wrong (laughs) i know (laughs) so you were talking it makes you feel powerful (laughs) i guess i guess from uh yeah like an empowerment point of view maybe it's like empower lifting (laughs) maybe I don't know. We can rename it. Um, so you mentioned before about the like mental gains that you got from from starting powerlifting. Like, what was that? Mm-hmm. What sort of stuff did did you find happened? Um, I feel like a lot of things I'm going to say for this probably sounds so. It sounds like a quote you'd see on like a picture on an Instagram post. That's right. But it <laughs> that's what it was. Genuinely, then. like exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um. The where it's like being comfortable with being uncomfortable is like one of the biggest things. Um, Because I mean, yeah, like I had things in my life that were difficult, but like physically, like it's it's uncomfortable. A hard set, a hard training session, it's not fun. Like you go in sometimes, and you're like, "Wow, this is going to be really hard," but I'm going to do it. And afterwards, it's the payoff. It's so oh my gosh! And then you just see like over a really good training cycle leading up to a competition and then to see it all pay off it's just it's so worth it um but it's just a a place in my mind I guess I I've I've dealt with difficult mental things but I hadn't dealt with difficult like physical things and being able to just trust your body trust the work you put in there's just so many like metaphors for life I feel like that can really come out of it um like if you just work hard work consistently do a good job like try your best at it it will all kind of accumulate and add up to success at some point truly you mm. know but and i think one of the things that i took out of it when i first started was patience cuz it's 
it's yes it's not a, a it's not a support it's not a sport to really get into if you're a person that wants like immediate gratification it's yes. and I tell all my athletes like it's a patient sport it's yeah uh, you know you could work 12 months to put two and a half kilos on your bench like and that's exactly and, and for most you know powerlifters that have been lifting for a while that's that's awesome like you'd be stoked with that but exactly. if you think that's going to happen every week or like mm-hmm. the other thing I, I noticed and I don't know different lifters are different like I'm when I first started I was a type of lifter like I want to learn everything I want to know everything about this sport and that's mm-hmm. probably why I got into coaching because I just started learning everything I don't know mm-hmm. if you were the same or you just wanted to follow the program because there's other lifters that just want to give me my program, I'll do the work, whatever. Yeah. No, I love learning. Like the why. I want to know yeah. the why. So, And that was one mm-hmm. of the things like there's different phases. Like the, the strength gains aren't linear uh, and there's different phases that you go mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. in your training. Like there's, you know, volume blocks and, you know, you'll do a strength mm-hmm. ramp and there's a peak just before a comp and there's, Learning about how your body, because everyone's body is going to react differently to those different phases as well. But it, mm. I, I find it re—I found it really satisfying, almost like a self-reflection, like learning to self-reflect, but from a physical point of view. Yeah. Um, as yes. opposed to like this is how I think, kind of thing or feel. But learning how my body reacts to different things, like I know once I hit, once I start a volume block. Um, which is, you know, high volume and it's heavy and it hurts and everyone hates it. <laughs> but I know that when I it, it'll get harder, harder, harder until week six. And I know in week six I'll hit this massive wave of adaption mm-hmm. and week six will be cruising. Mm-hmm. And I I there's I don't I there's no reason for it. Well there is a reason for it, but like I know it's gonna be different for everyone, but I know my body week six. I know week six is gonna be cruisy as. So I usually mm-hmm bump the weights when I because I write my own program. I usually bump the weights a little bit on week six to try and keep that adaption rolling. So there's little like n- things like that that you learn about your own body and how you react and even mm-hmm. even being able to see like this time last year I was only able to do this much volume and now I can do this much volume. Like being able to mm-hmm. see little tiny improvements. I think that's another thing that I took out of it is mm-hmm. measuring Different measures for success. And I think that's a lot. I actually think that's a big problem for a lot of powerlifters because they're all focused on how much weight's on the bar. Mm -hmm. But being able to look at a situation like, you know, I hit this weight for five reps. Like, yeah, it's not my my heaviest weight that I could possibly lift because I'm doing it for five. But Mm -hmm. six months ago, I did five kilos less than that for for five. So, like, there's progress. Mm -hmm. Or even I got under this weight and it didn't scare me. Like that's a big yes. one. The, the the mental side of it can be equally as big as the the physical side of it. Yeah. Oh, so much. I feel like when you're talking about that, I had like ten different things where I was like, "Oh, this is also OT." Because I feel like a good program is like a just right challenge. You know what I mean? Yep. If you think about it, uh, in a way. Um, and then I think about like when you're saying, cause like in powerlifting, you go through exactly what you're saying, phases of programming, like whether you're doing a little more volume or less volume, but the weights are heavier. Um, and it translates, I feel like that I applied to life where, cause every, I feel like everyone has like seasons of life, like periods of life where you, you know, you push, you dig a little more, you maybe have a little more on your plate. Others you don't. Um, and it, I don't know. I feel like I, 
knowingly or unknowingly kind of translate how I've learned how to endure different, different weights, physically, mentally, like spiritually, like through powerlifting. And then it helps me kind of translate that, that to like life and knowing that like, okay, if you're going through something really busy or, you know, impactful, like this is a phase too, like, and you're just going to adapt and get stronger, like, or you can depending mm-hmm. on how you handle it, you know? And so. I think that's one of the things that I did take into to practice as well is I think one of the things that I always found interesting in comparison is like grading activities where mm. like in powerlifting we know mainly because there's so much evidence about how the body reacts and strength training. Like there's a whole field that looks into that and mm-hmm. researches it. Absolutely. So we know that like, we couldn't peak every week. You'd die. Like you can't. Mm-hmm. Sus- yes. Your body wouldn't sustain. You'd, well, you wouldn't die, but you'd be I severely. Injured. People have tried. And People have tried. Yeah, you get hurt. Work. Yeah. So, good. like, we know we have to go through these different phases in order to get stronger. And the aim is to not be as strong as you possibly can every day. It's to be as strong as you can yes. at competition. So, you know, the three to six months leading up to that competition is all laid out and sort of planned in order to make you the absolute strongest you can be on that one day. Yeah. And I, I, I wonder when we, when we, even when we're taught about like grading activities, we're taught to do it very mm-hmm. linear. Like it's, yeah. here's where yes. we are, yeah. here's where we're starting and we kind of like draw this straight yeah. line and make some stops along the way and that's, that's how we grade an activity for a client. And, I'm like, and, yeah. and it's always yeah. fascinated to me why... We, we don't because even if obviously we're not talking about, you know, them gaining strength or gaining muscle in most cases. Yeah. But, you know, there's people have good days, there's bad days. We know that there's, you know, appointments yeah. coming up. We know that there's this. Like why aren't we doing these sort of graded or gradings of activities in some sort of phase or, you know, using an RPE yeah. scale kind of thing like Honestly, though. On this day, you know, if you're not feeling very good, if say you're a, you're feeling like a five out of ten, then this is what we want to try and do. If you're feeling like an eight, do a bit more, kind of thing. Yeah, no, that's so funny you mentioned that because literally, I so I work in the hospital and the hospital based OT, and a lot of it just comes down to getting people up and and doing things. Um, but we'll have people who are really motivated and they'll push it like every day. They'll do something with us, and then they just have a bad day. And I always tell them like, look. Like, as far as you're concerned, you're like an athlete and this is your training right now. Like, even athletes have days off. Even athletes have bad days. Like, this is your thing and, like, don't feel bad about it. Because they're always like, oh, my gosh, I swear I wish I could do more. Like, I feel like y'all are probably disappointed in me and, like, blah, blah, blah. It's always the super motivated people, you know, are so, like, critical of themselves. And I'm like, no, like, listen, like, even peak. So it's just, it's crazy you mentioned that because I feel like I feel the same. And I think I... I, I I don't think we need to like program it per se, but I just think we need to mm-hmm. take it into account at least. Awareness. Yeah. What other, Absolutely. have you seen any other links? Cause I know I have, but have you seen any other links between powerlifting, training, competing, whatever, and occupational therapy or anything from your OT skill set that's helped with your, your powerlifting? Absolutely. So motor planning is a huge thing, which is funny cause I work with adults. I don't even work with peds, but um, just a lot of the tenets of sensory integration and motor learning and planning, I would say I take because I have some bad, like 
habits, with movements myself. I, I would consider myself like low tone. This is, I'm not, I'm not a pizza tea, so I don't know if I'm going to describe things properly, but, uh, I find that powerlifting helps me with kind of my, like not being so low tone. Um, and then I just really incorporated a lot of my understandings of like anatomy and motor planning, things like that, as I try and fix my own, um, like my technique with my lifts and, uh, I think I've never done like a sensory profile or anything on myself, but I think I'm, I'm probably under responsive and like proprioceptive feedback. So like kind of pulling into like sensory integration, um, so that I've, I've learned how to kind of, you know, come up with a warm up routine that really works for me or different cues or things that helps me, uh, increase my body awareness and a good, uh, like measurement I have for myself is I really know the changes that I'm making to my technique or, or working in, in all of my sensory systems, if I can do it with my eyes closed, because <laughs> I'm like, okay, I know, because I know I'm, I'm definitely more reliant on my visual system because I'm very, I don't know, I'm, I'm not very good at uh, incorporating my proprioceptive feedback <laughs> naturally. Interesting. So, what sort but, of, what sort of warm up have you done f- for that? Um, a lot of things, just like tuning into my body, um, feeling my feet on the ground, like warming up at my gym. I can just wear socks and stuff. Um, putting, I mean, like, you know, you always see the typical like bands around your knees and do some body squats with it, like body weight squats, but that's really helpful for me to like start to kind of tune in and feel like my limits. Um, the, honestly, the biggest thing is I now lift without my glasses on cause I'm pretty blind <laughs> without them. <laughs> and I found that <laughs> that it, it forces me like I absolutely, I'm like my body it has no choice but to turn on the other systems more, you know, because I can't rely on like my peripheral vision and like seeing where I am and that for my body and space, you know, and it's on, it's so, it's so helpful. I I always say like, I feel like I can tune out of the world and then tune into myself um, because I'm pretty much blind, (laughs) like without my glasses. So That's awesome. I never would have Mm -hmm. even thought of that. I did it on randomly one time and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so helpful. <laughs> and, and then it made sense to me because I knew from my OT education, you know, yep. I was like, actually, this makes sense. Of, like the more that I think about it, you know, and so. I think any of that sort of sensory stuff is, is really important with regards to, mm-hmm. um, with regards to lifting of any kind, but especially powerlifting, mm-hmm. even from a point of self-awareness, like you've just described, because I think. A lot of people, mm-hmm. and I, I see it really common um, with some athletes that I coach, I don't think they're fully aware of what they're actually capable of and they kind of psych themselves out or they're not prepared or they, or the complete opposite, they rush into things and, and you know stuff mm-hmm. something up because they don't have that process or they don't have that, that, that spatial awareness or that body awareness in themselves in order to kind of replicate because what you want to do with training is you know you want to replicate those lifts with good form every time Mm -hmm. like i say to my athletes like a a a warm-up with just the bar should look exactly the same albeit probably a little bit faster than you know a max max effort lift like i want everything to look the same uh Mm -hmm. consistency is key not just in the you know getting to the gym but in the actual movements themselves consistency and it comes back to like you were talking about, like motor planning. Like you're going to build a better 
yeah. schema if you're constantly repeating mm-hmm. the same form and you're using the same exactly. motor patterns. And grease that groove. <laughs> yeah, yeah, grease the groove, as they say in yeah. powerlifting. So <laughs> I think any of that sensory stuff, the other thing that I think from a sensory point of view that I found really massive and I'm, I use it a lot um, with my athletes is uh, stimul- uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. Arousal, uh, modulating arousal. So yes, people. You know, there's some people that are super chilled and probably need to amp up a little bit. There's some people that get super anxious mm-hmm. and a bit over the top and need to be able to relax and come down. And you mentioned the sensory profile before. I've actually I've not done a formal sensory profile, but obviously my knowledge of its use and you know being able to I I can pick up some of the 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 signs and symptoms I guess you, you would pull from a, a sensory profile just from observation so you know like you said you you need more proprioceptive input because you're probably low reg for that for me I tend to be a quite sort of chilled lifter so I and I kind of <laughs> need to be brought up a little bit but at appropriate times during a comp yeah. So, um, but yeah. for me, it's it's auditory and visual. So I'll sit somewhere where I can yeah. see the whole warm up room and I can see everything going on and everything's moving and there's you know people wearing different colours and I get more visual input. Like I couldn't sit hmm. in the corner and stare at the wall like that would just drop me right out. And yeah. I have music cranking like the whole time in comp. It's oh yeah. It it's and some people don't. Some people don't like that. But for me. Like that's what I need to be able to module. Like, and I have I, I I train. I have the same songs. I have the same song that I listen to before I squat. The same song that I listen to before I bench, <laughs> and a, the same but a different song before that I listen to before I deadlift. And because that's what I've trained my body to mm-hmm. do. Like my body responds to that particular track because that's what I've used yeah. in training. And like I'll listen to other stuff like while I'm waiting because there's usually. 10-minute mm. break or 15-minute break in between lifts. Mm. And I'll use different stuff to actually calm me down. But I have those tracks yeah. like queued up ready to help me amp up just before I go out. So yeah. from a sensory point of view, like you can train yourself to, you know, utilize your sensory system mm-hmm. for your benefit. Absolutely. It's crazy because I feel like that's a – I imagine pretty universal for – like even across like CrossFit and Olympic lifting stuff, I feel like music is everybody's. It's like the universal like modulator. Mm. <laughs> like you're saying, I don't know. We all like it. Have you ever? Because something I'm trying to. I'm a lot like you, and I'm trying to hone. Because I'm like, okay, if I can have these consistent things that bring about that, like whatever you want to say, like prime state of arousal. Why shouldn't I be able to achieve this level of arousal without it? Like, like can I? foster it myself now that I know what it feels like and how to get there and I've kind of like I don't know it's like a new thing in the last like couple months I started to play with and like just see if I can get myself there just kind of mentally re like playing the song in my head or like really I don't know have you ever tried anything like that I haven't I I know people that have and I know people that have like tried the theory like oh if I can like in training like if I can hit this weight without any you know, music or ammonia <laughs> or anything like that, then I'll hit it. And I'm like, for me, 
I, I'm more of the like, if it's not broke, why fix it kind of mentality. Exactly. And I'm like, well, it works in oh, training yeah. and it's worked in every comp I've ever done. So why, why change it? And it's not like it's inconveniencing me by wearing so headphones. I mean, the, wearing headphones now, it's like I wear headphones yeah. 90% of my life, I think. So it's not a, a big thing for me. If, if some things do change, like I've been in comps where, you know, there's not that many people or the warm-up room's really boring. Uh, and I'll go and stand out in the crowd in between lifts just to get more visual input. Like I know what my what I need to modulate. That's awesome. So it's a matter of just finding it. And usually I know where to find it. Like I've done enough comps now. I think I've done, I don't know, 12 comps, something like that. Like I've done enough comps now that mm. I know what – I can do, and I've experimented with that over the over the years. Like I've experimented, like as uh, a lot of, and this is going to sound bad to people who aren't in the know, but some powerlifters will snort ammonia caps <laughs> yes. before they go out to lift because it gives you that just a, almost like an adrenaline dump. And it, when I first started, I couldn't do it. I tried it once in training, and I'm like, "How do you?" Mm-hmm. I couldn't think. My eyes were watering. Or felt like I'd been punched in the nose. <laughs> I'm like, how do you lift? I couldn't even find the bar. How do you lift after sniffing that stuff? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But for me, that was way too much arousal for what I needed. Mm. Like, I, it was way past my sort of ideal threshold, I guess. So, and like, I've experimented with those kinds of things. I don't, a lot of people get like back slaps. I can't do that. It, annoys me <laughs> yeah yeah um like it, it's it's very into but I, I have athletes that are like they want that they want to use ammonia they yeah want to, yeah you know they Whatever have all works. these everyone has it, being at the back in a powerlifting comp is amazing because just from a people watching mm-hmm. point of view because everyone has yes. their little rituals everyone has their little it's routines so and their habits and I oh yeah talk about OT yeah yeah and yeah. that's it like it's it's interesting for me from that point of view, just watching, like, see how other people respond. And in my head, I'm always, like, trying to work out, like, I wonder if they did this differently, if that would help kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, I see people using, like, the reason we try and sort of calm down in between lifts is because we can't, no one can maintain that amount of arousal Uh for a full, like, say, a powerlifting comp might go for three and a half hours. That's a short, that's a quick one. Um. I know. You can't you can't maintain like maintaining that high level of arousal for that whole time you'd be asleep yeah. before you even finished your mm-hmm. lifts. So, yeah. you know, you want to hype up just before you lift and then calm right down as uh-huh. soon as you can. So like when yeah. I when I come back after lifting, when I come back out the back, I'll sit down, I'll chill, I'll put some music on. Yeah. Like I'm complete energy conservation mode until it's time. Usually when I'm <laughs> sort of three or four lifters out, I start pacing, I pace. And mm-hmm. I'll, the music will change. Um, I have a routine like with putting my wrist wraps and my belt and all that sort of stuff on. Like I have a very set routine and it works yes. for me. And if it ever doesn't or it ever stops working, then I'll adjust and find something else. But I think mm-hmm. habits and routines, uh, you, you could modulate um, without them. But I think for most people that don't even have that sort of awareness of where they're at, uh, mm-hmm. Or that really, because you would need quite a, a really good sort of level of self awareness for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think routines yeah. and building it into our routine is probably the best way for most people. And I think it's the same with our mm-hmm. with our clients. Like building, like if you've got someone that struggles to modulate, building 
some modulation into a routine is probably going to be the best way to mm-hmm. you know, keep them modulated, at least to start with, um, as yeah. opposed yeah. to like while they develop that sort of sense of self-awareness. No one's going to pick up like, you know, here's a client, here, here's my sensory modulation textbook, have a read of this and see where mm-hmm. you think you're at kind of thing. So I think that, that Do you feel like you uh, – oh, sorry. No, you're right. Continue. I was just saying that Do you feel like... is really, I think, close with OT. Yeah. Uh, so I've never done coaching, so I'm curious to know, do you feel like you can foster that self-awareness in clients? Or, like, do they want to? Or how do you – I don't know if you navigated that. Uh, I think it's different. It's kind of similar to what I asked you before. Like, it's different for every lifter. Like, I've got some lifters that mm-hmm. – have done coaching courses and they want to become coaches. So they like, they want to know everything, like every decision I make, they want to know why mm-hmm. every, you know, suggestion I make, they want to know like how I came to that. It's kind of like my clinical reasoning for powerlifting. They want to know yeah. everything. And I've got other lifters that either if some do compete, some don't compete. They don't care. They just want to follow the program. So they're like, you know, yeah. all of those decisions are like, that's, that's what I got you for. Like you do that. And I'll yeah, just do like, whatever okay. you say, and you know. So it depends on the individual, and I guess their their motivations in the sport. So, and I don't think like I've seen. There's no correlation at all between like this type of person is a better lifter or turns out to be a better lifter. Like they both can yeah. be excellent lifters. It's just exactly. I guess what they want to get out of it, really. Yeah, one hundred percent. And if they have an awesome coach, maybe like yourself. <laughs> oh, you're flattering. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Well, the one thought I had, because I know we mentioned like maybe you want to talk about roles and things like that. Yep. I know a huge issue that it seems like a lot of lifters run into at some point or another is whether they have like a mild, moderate, or severe injury. And if their identity was like very connected, because we all been, I've been there, I've been there. And like, um, it, it taught me the lesson of the importance of having multiple things that I put my energy and passion into because it really stinks if you put everything into one thing and then something happens with it, you know? And I was like, wow, that's so OT. Like, we should all be well-rounded, you know? But I don't know, thoughts on no, that? No, no, <laughs> I think that that's something that I see a lot, especially online. Uh, the Instagram world yes. annoys me when it comes to powerlifting, but yeah, I think I think as a sport, because... It, it really does take a lot of your time. Like there's a lot of training. Yeah. You know, you could be mm-hmm. training sort of three, four, five afternoons a week kind of thing and it's usually mm-hmm. a couple of hours at least. Like it, it's a, it, it's a nutrition, big – Nutrition, everything. Nutrition, your recovery. Like there's a lot mm-hmm. that goes into it. I, I do think that people – do get so involved in it and sort of do put themselves so far into it that it does become part of their identity. It's not just a hobby mm-hmm. anymore. It's It becomes something, you know, that they they are. They are a powerlifter kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways, like, if you do want to get, like, up to, you know, the best kind of thing, you do want to go up the ranks, you kind of have to have that mentality but you're right. That, Absolutely. That does pose an issue in that if someone gets injured or, you know, suspended even, I've seen that happen as well. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. 
like you, you've all of a sudden, like in an instant, either in either scenario, in an instant, you've taken something that is such a massive part of people's lives and they are incorporating into their identity. And you've, mm-hmm. especially with the injury, you've taken it away. Yeah. So you, you do see a lot of people that kind of, they, they, they're lost without it. They don't really yeah. know what yeah. to do. Yeah. I'm sure you've yeah. seen it in in your time as well. Have you ever experienced 100%. it? I've experienced it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I've lived it, <laughs> and that that really like. And it was funny because I experienced it about the time that I started OT school. Um, I never had like a major major, but it was enough, like you know, of a problem that it really kept me away. And then on top of it, just school being so demanding, you know, made it even harder, um, even less enticing to like really put as much time and effort into it. But it was almost kind of perfect that that was when OT really started like becoming a part of my life because I was like, wow, I was like, no, like I was doing it wrong. And it's not and it, like, at least for me, this is my experience. Right. But I was like, I can still be so passionate about powerlifting. I can make it a priority. I can do all those things. But I I have to cultivate the other areas of my life as well. Absolutely have to, because that way, no matter what happens, it's kind of like my personal insurance policy. Like I will have something that will fill my cup or so to speak you know what I mean yeah, yeah. or make me happier so and then ever since that I've just been like all right balanced living like I, I'm gotta you know keep every every little part of my life at least operating decently you know so that way I have something to fall back on like no matter what happens but, uh, and I think that's the that's the thing like a lot of people get into strength training as a hobby and I think just the demands of it it does kind of take over mm-hmm. probably more than it's yeah. warranted to. It's addictive. It it's can so be, yeah. addictive. It can be, which is like any addiction. You take <laughs> it away, it's going to cause trouble. But, uh, I mean, I experienced the same thing. I was, when was it? It was probably three years ago now. Um, I was a week and a half out from competition and I blew my AC in my shoulder um, benching. Oh, uh, which I didn't realize sort of how bad it was. I still competed. It was terrible. But uh, I didn't really realize how bad <laughs> it course, was. Right. And it hurt so bad. Um, but that was, I, I think in a way for me, because I was coaching, I kind of took that energy yeah. that I would normally put into my training. And obviously I was doing rehab for it then, uh, yeah. which was so frustrating when you're used to moving like really big weights and you're doing these exercises yes. with like a one yes. one kilogram dumbbell i'm like this is br- yeah this is ridiculous and then you do it and you just cooked i'm like how is that possible mm-hmm. like how is it possible mm-hmm. that you know i can bench this much and i'm absolutely frying this shoulder with one kilogram like what's, i know what's that for you guys two pounds 2.2 pounds or something i'm like this is yeah ridiculous. yeah yeah Mm-hmm. So anyway, that was on on. There was kind of like an athlete me, which was just completely frustrated, but wanting to do it because I wanted to get back. But because I was just rehabbing, mm-hmm. and the rehab's training was a lot less uh, demanding, I think, than my normal training. Yeah. So I had all this extra time, so yeah. I kind of put that into coaching. Like I had that yeah. to fall back on in a way. So I was still involved with the sport. Uh, and I've done that a lot with with different clients. Like you know, they might have played football, and now all of a sudden they can't play football, but we can still keep them involved with the club, either yeah. on the board or doing fundraising or whatever it is as part of a football club kind of thing. 
so they're still involved in mm-hmm. it. So I think, but I, I see other people that you know they if they there's not a lot else aside from lifting and coaching in powerlifting. There's not much. There's not many other roles. Like, yeah, it's not unless you're, uh, you know, gonna start and run a club. But in general, yeah, the people that are running the club are coaches and lifters anyway. Mm-hmm. So there's not too many people that I've ever seen that are involved in running a club that aren't doing one of those two things already. So mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting sport in that if you do have that injury, there's not a whole lot of fallback. So yeah. you're right, I, I, and I do think it's super important because this sport kind of, you know, it's almost like a virus. It just kind of takes over everything in your yeah. life. It is important that you yeah. consciously uh, maintain outs- other hobbies or anything. Absolutely. So, yeah. you know, unfortunately, I'd love to say that I've found a magic way that people can train and they'll never get injured, but... It doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like any kind of training carries an inherent risk. And as, absolutely, I, I don't think injuries with good training and with a good coach, I don't think injuries are as common as people might believe, but they do happen and you need yeah. to know they do happen. Yeah. Because the other thing absolutely. that I found too, and you may have as well, is through my injury uh, and my rehab specifically and learning off my exercise physiologist who was doing my rehab, I realized that, shit, like I've been – training wrong and my training is what actually caused the injury like I've been neglecting exactly yeah. certain things and like mm-hmm. it changed the way I coach and it changed the way yeah. I train and it's it's almost like learning a new theory uh like in OT like you're mm-hmm. like holy crap like why didn't I know it's so obvious now that you pointed out to me or that now that I've experienced it kind of thing so yeah, yeah. I, I think it was overall I think it was a really valuable <laughs> thing to happen as much as it kind of hurt at the time yeah no I love it I feel like the there's so much about the spirit of like I don't know like what we're talking about that I feel like aligns with at least what I see is like the spirit of OT it's like at the end of the day we're like we're just trying to make whatever it is work like whatever the person needs or wants to do and like we're we're just trying to make it work somehow whether we're adapting them or the environment or, or like whatever is having to kind of compensate we're just trying to make it work and like that's the the blessing in disguise right like injury is it, it teaches you a better way to make it work um un- unfortunately it's not like you wish you could figure it out without the injury but i would be a millionaire if i could case. work out how to do that <laughs> you'd have everyone wanting to train the the injury free way but yeah unfortunately it doesn't absolutely exist. Because I think one of the other <laughs> Not things... Not as fun. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be as fun. You wouldn't be pushing as hard. But um, <laughs> Exactly. I think one of the other things, like, and you just touched on it then, is the community. I, I Yeah. For the most... And obviously there's bad eggs in every sport, but I think for the most part, powerlifting has a really supportive community. And I think that's one of the things that makes Absolutely. it really appealing to mm-hmm. you know new people. That's one of the things I think why it grew so fast in the last few years is because... Yeah, it really was built as a sport that anyone can do. Like, there's different weight classes, so big, yeah. small, tiny, male, female, it doesn't matter. Like, anyone can yeah. can join in. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. I like to say it didn't matter like how much you were lifting when you started, but I know some people do get a bit stuck on numbers and that kind of thing. But like anyone could or can have a go. The other mm-hmm. thing that 
we were just thinking, it just came into my head before is I, I think one of the differences in how we work with clients or how I've seen people work with clients and how we work with powerlifters. So for example, we have like the, the end goal is always very clear with powerlifting. Like it's, yeah. you know, yes. to, to lift more weight than you did last competition. And I like it because the, the goal is always, it's client centered. Like it's, what your yeah. goal is yeah. even though we're going for the same thing like the weights you're going to try and hit yeah. probably going to be different I hope than the weights I'm going to hit you'll probably lift way more than me so <laughs> it's it's very individualized in that way but that big picture is always very clear which I think is something that yeah. we sometimes struggle with with clients so that when there is a setback yeah. like an injury or or whatever it is that that big picture in powerlifting is still there whereas I think yeah any sort of setback or injury or, you know, something in OT practice can have a much bigger backslide, I think, sometimes because I yeah, don't think yeah. the big picture is as clear, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm, yeah. What, no, absolutely. What do you think with regards absolutely. to your hospital work? Do you think that fits? Or? Yeah, absolutely. That's why I always feel like um, kind of what I've learned in my own, like, self-growth from powerlifting I feel like is just like a fraction of what my patients feel because so I see patients who are after like car crashes or just big traumatic events um where a lot has changed lose a limb like what have you um and I I think it helps me empathize I I hesitate to say like relate because I really don't think I can like truly relate mm -hmm. to that gravity but I do think it helps me empathize a little better. And it, and it, like you're saying, um, it's, mm, I mean, I think I would have thought of it anyways, probably just cause you know, it's kind of very in OT as well, but helping people kind of find that vision again, or even, even, or even just to start to contemplate what could that vision be, mm. you know, sometimes role playing cause in the hospital, everything's so acute and, it's very fresh, very new, like just trying to figure a lot out. Um, but even if you can just kind of, you know, give them a little hope, like, look, like you had, you've lost this limb or, or this has happened to you, but there are people that do X, Y, and Z. It's just a little different than before, you know, and it's going to take some time, but it's not impossible, you yeah, know? Yeah. Um, I'd be interested to get your opinion too, because one of the things that I've been sort of toying around in my head recently is, I think OTs quite often assume that independence is a goal and it's not, yeah. and it's not always going to be a goal for everyone. Mm -mm. I, don't, I don't feel. No. What's your opinion no. on that? So I literally have, so it's kind of interesting too, cause I, my bachelor's is in religion. Um, it was an academic study of religion. And when I explain it to people, I usually, I feel like it was a mixture of like psychology and history, if you mm -hmm. can imagine. And I'm so thankful for it. I did it before I really, new like OT like towards the end of my religion degrees when I found OT and applied to grad school and all that jazz but um I'm so thankful for it because I feel like it gives me a, a better understanding of different cultures and exactly to your point like if I I know someone is you know it seems like they're coming from a little bit more of a collectivist culture where the family actually takes pride and it's it's an act of like honor and and giving to be able to take care of someone I'm not going to roll in there and be like look I'm going to help you get back to doing this by yourself. I can say we can find a way for this to like you, if you want to, you know, to be able to do this by yourself, but also what are the roles of the other people here? And like, 
how do y'all fit together and how do you want to figure it out? And I've had those conversations and um, I'd like to think it's like my undergrad degree that kind of gave me that perspective because I don't know if I would have had it as much otherwise. And I might have just walked in as your typical like Western, you know, bred kind of a person like we have to get you back to doing it by yourselves because at the end of the day, we're not we shouldn't be pushing any values on anyone. Um, even if we, even if we want to, even if deeply I'm like, you know, their life actually could be a lot easier if they figure out how to do it, but that's not what they want. So like, who am I, you know, all I can do is maybe just put the idea out there and if they don't want it, then that's fine. And we move on and do something else, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that's, I, I think that's want. linking that, even linking that to powerlifting. Like I see like powerlifting from the outside looks like a very individual sport. Like that person does the training, mm-hmm. they go into the comp. But I, I do feel that there's a, a collectivist culture. And I think that's what's actually appealing to people is, you know, it's up to you, you do the work, et cetera. But there is a collectivist culture, mm-hmm. especially, you know, you'll have a yeah. coach, you'll have, you know, you might have training partners. Even if you train alone, like when things get heavy, like before a comp, you will might have some mates around to spot and load and help mm-hmm. out and that kind of stuff. In comp, there's, you know, people on the platform looking after you, refs, like this, and everyone's there for that one purpose. Like no one's there hoping that yeah. you know, you're not going to hit your goal. Like that's, I think exactly. there really is a collectivist culture in the sport. And I think that's what people find that's most cool. appealing. Oh yeah. You even see it like, even at worlds, they're like, everyone's, they just want everyone to do the best. Obviously people want to win, yeah, you know, yeah. but they're not going to be like, well, I hope you miss this. It's going to be like, I hope you make it. And then I hope I make mine so I can beat you. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. it's like, I hope we're all successful, you know, <laughs> like, and then it's, and then everyone's friendly at the end of the day, at least that I've seen, but I like it. I agree. I recorded with uh, Heather Connor yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh my God. She's amazing. She is. So she's strong. such a little muscle nugget. But um, yeah, that was <laughs> so one of the true. things she was saying. Like, she's just like cheering for everyone and like super happy and. Yeah, loves yeah. loves that I've not met many people that have got as much passion for the support. Thinking about the cultural side of it, like a lot of the stuff she was saying was, you know, about the federation and the support from the federation and from a coach and that kind of stuff. It wasn't very little of the really amazing things she was talking about the sport were actually her lifts. Like it was all of this other stuff that goes on around it that, you yeah. know, was the, the major you know, I guess positive for her. So yeah, I, I that's one of the things that has been sort of striking me from a cultural point of view is I think that's something I think OT can learn from something like powerlifting. It's like you said, more about the collectivist cultures and less focus on independence as a blanket goal. Yeah. All right. I know you got to get out of here. Thank you no. <laughs> so, so, so much for the chat. It's been really Thank fun. Thank you for having me. Where can people find you online? What are you doing? What is OT reference? Oh, <laughs> well, just a little plug because yeah, I'm always—I feel like I'm kind of shy to talk about it sometimes. But um, no, I guess I'm a small business owner and I own a company called OT Reference. Um, my Instagram page is the best way to get a hold of me. Literally, just at OT Reference, all one word. Um, and I just make quick reference products for occupational therapy practitioners. And uh, if you just look at my profile, I have links to everything if you kind of want to check the products out and things like that. Um, And then I just kind of share my OT journey on there a little bit, uh, especially as I've been embarking on like being a new grad OT, kind of transitioning into not being quite as much of a new grad, which is great. (laughs) Um, And kind of just really plugging into that community because we have some excellent people on there 
who are really passionate about OT. And um, I just love how our little OT like Instagram community is just like blossomed, especially in the last year. And I feel like it's only going to continue to grow and hopefully becomes a, a bigger thing, you know, as our generation kind of ages and really connects us all and helps us make changes. And I like being included uh, in the, like our it. generation because I'm not your generation. <laughs> much, much older, but that's okay. I'll take it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, when I first I started, because uh, like I've been in, involved in OT social media for like longer than I care to admit, but like Instagram never used there never used to be any OT culture on exactly. Instagram, and especially yeah. I like I only really got involved in the OT side of it probably two years ago. But yeah, like in the last twelve mm. months, it's blown up. Like, like there's boom. Yeah. there's a massive OT sort of cl- not club, but like there's a mm. there's a massive group. Yeah. Of OTs on there, and everyone's really friendly. Everyone's interacting, sharing right. resources, sharing We're great information. <laughs> we we love yeah. each other, apparently. We do, and living instant too. I feel like we all immediately like, oh, you're into OT, okay? Yeah, yeah. We're best friends. Yeah, <laughs> like that's how it works. Love everyone's it. super friendly. <laughs> so yes, yeah, thank you. Very much. I'll throw the links to to your stuff in the in the show notes and oh, stuff. Well, thank you, and thank you for having me. My two favorite things I never have, never have I gotten to talk about my two favorite things with someone for quite a, like this long of a time. So <laughs> thank you. I'm happy that you agreed to come and do it because it's much better than me just rabbiting on by myself. So oh. much more entertaining. <laughs> And thank you for what you do for our community too, because you're bringing awareness to different OT things. You are welcome. Sure. It's fun, so I'll keep doing it while it still while it stays fun, <laughs> like most things. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. <laughs>